I'm going to hand back over to Kez, who's going to read our passage to us this evening, which is 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, do look that up as we uh, read that together. But Kez is going to read our passage to us now. Thank you so much, Kez. So 1 John 2, verses 12 to 17. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Thank you so much, Kez. Well, I wonder at this moment in time, one of the things that we're maybe missing is going on adventures and traveling to different places and to different cities. Uh, I know that I was reflecting on this this week about um, a time years ago, I went to Berlin with a a good friend of mine and uh, we saw this deal. We'd always wanted to go to Berlin and so we saw a good deal and we booked the flights and we headed out there. And, you know, it was clear to see from the outset of our trip uh, that we both had different ways and approaches of being tourists in Berlin. You know, I kind of wanted to to blend in, you know, almost try and pass off being one of the locals, you know, so learning different phrases in German, trying to order my food and drink in German. I mean, it was pretty clear after that that I wasn't German, Um, but I tried anyway. And then, you know, in the morning, I would plan out my route. And so I'd kind of knowing what bus and what U-Bahn to take to get from place to place in the city. And then when we had to eat and we went to a restaurant, well, I kind of order things that looked a bit unusual, uh, that looked like, you know, some of the things that the locals would order. And uh, I must be honest, uh, half of the things I didn't really realise what I was ordering uh, off the menu. But... My friend, on the other hand, it seemed had a very different approach and he wasn't changing for anyone. I don't think he cared too much about what other people thought or whether other people thought he was from a different place altogether. And so in the typical way, he kind of went about and uh, spoke and ordered things uh, in English, assuming that everyone uh, in Germany speaks perfect English, which, of course, Uh, They do. So luckily for him. And he would, you know, if we got lost somewhere in Berlin in the city, well, he'd have no hesitation looking like a tourist and opening up the map or asking someone for directions. And then when it came to eating stuff, well, my friend was very comfortable eating the things that he knew tasted very good from home. And uh, most of the time, I think he came out with a better option. But the point is, when I was thinking about that was, well, when I was visiting Berlin, another city in another country, 
I really wanted to blend in. I wanted to do as everyone else around me was doing. But my friend, well, he was so happy standing out. And, you know, this evening as we're going through, we're going to see that John, in his letter that he writes to this church, he's showing them their identity is not the same as those around them. And we'll see that therefore, John says, because their identity is so different, it means that they live in a different way. And yet I know, isn't it, that's often the struggle of the Christian life, isn't it? In fact, it's the real danger uh, for the church, isn't it? That it becomes just a carbon copy of the culture and the world around it. That there almost becomes nothing distinctive, nothing different about those who claim to follow the Lord Jesus. And so when we live our lives in front of our neighbours and our friends and our family, well, they think that Jesus has nothing different to offer. There's nothing that the church offers that's different from the world around. Do you know, Jesus in his, uh, in the recorded for us in the Gospels in Matthew, Jesus says, doesn't he, he says, what good is it if salt loses its saltiness? Well, when it loses its saltiness, it's absolutely useless, isn't it? It's made, it's designed to be distinctive. And so it's crucial, isn't it, this evening that we know, as John will explain to us, how we can stand out rather than blend in. Like my friends and I were as tourists in Berlin, although I hope not with the same brazen attitude that maybe we had. But as we go through our passage tonight, there are really just two very simple points for us as we go through. The first one is our foundation, our foundation. That's from verses 12 to 14. You see, as we've been going through this letter of one John so far, we've seen, haven't we, that John, he's writing to address some issues that are arising in this church. It seems that there are some Uh, going around in this church that are teaching the wrong things, that are helping people to wander away from trusting the Lord Jesus, from trusting him completely and wholeheartedly. And what we have at the start of our passage, it's a bit interesting, isn't it, in 1 John, because it stands out in the way that it's written. You might see there, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, that it looks like it's written in the style of one of the Psalms. Uh, you might see in the Old Testament, a bit of poetry. But, you know, there's a clear structure to this first part of our passage that John is writing. I don't know whether you've seen it. It says, you know, you can see that every line begins with John saying, I'm writing to you. Uh, And then he mentions after that who he's writing to. And so we've got John addressing, he says, firstly, dear children. And then he goes on to says, then fathers and then young men. And then in verse 14, he kind of repeats it over again. And some think that, well, John, he's using these descriptions to describe the different levels of spiritual maturity in this church. And so some who would be new to faith here, he describes as maybe dear children or those who are more mature, mature in faith, who have been Christians for longer, he describes as fathers or young men. But whoever John might be addressing, what's certain is that he's writing to assure this church that he's writing to. As you go through these verses, 
you might be able to see the different things that John wants this church desperately to know. He wants them to know that they've been forgiven. He wants them to know that they know God. He wants them to know that they've overcome the evil one, that they're strong, that the word of God lives in them. It's interesting, isn't it? These aren't commands, they're statements. And John is wanting to remind this church and for us this evening, remind us of who we are and everything that we've received as being followers of the Lord Jesus. In other words, we've received everything that we could ever want. We're forgiven. We're in a relationship with the living God. We're victorious over the evil one, the devil who's seeking to accuse and to distract God's people. This is our foundation that John gives us at the start of our passage. In fact, it's the foundation that John is laying for what he's going to say next in our next section of our passage this evening. He wants us to know the assurance of everything that we have in trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. What more could we ask for? What more would we want? And yet even though I I ask myself those questions, so often, don't we, we do look to other things, don't we? Our hearts are distracted. And, you know, that's what we're going to see next. John shows us the distractions that we face, but also what our focus should be. And that's our second point this evening. We've looked at our foundation, but now, secondly, our focus. Our focus from verses 15 to 17. And, you know, this next section, it's really summed up. The big point that John wants to make is really summed up in the first thing that he says in verse 15, if you look with me. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And I wonder, what what does John mean when he says that? Do not love the world or anything in the world. I mean, are Christians allowed to love anything in the world? Uh, Are we allowed to love anything here on earth? Uh, Surely there are loads of good things that we enjoy here on earth. Um, Does God want us to enjoy those things? Is John saying that we should all pack our bags and uh, bring out all of our possessions and go and live in monasteries in a holy huddle away from everything and everyone else? Is that what Christians are to be like? Well, not at all. In fact, as we go through, I think it shows us two things, uh, what, what John means by do not love the world. Firstly, it shows us our identity as Christians. You see, it might sound very strange, doesn't it? You know, do not love the world or anything in the world. But through that, John implies that in some sense, Christians are separated from the world. That there's a clear and there's a distinctive difference between the two. You know, it reminds me of of that time when Jesus is being questioned by Pilate. And Pilate is questioning Jesus And he's asking him, you know, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, he responds to Pilate. He responds to him after all of this question. And he says these words. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight and prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
And so this evening, if we are those that claim to love and follow and trust the Lord Jesus, well, that means that we belong to his kingdom, his kingdom that's not of this world. We've changed citizenship. You know, Paul in in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when John seems to separate Christians from the world, he's saying that those who follow Jesus, well, they belong to another kingdom. We're under the authority of another king. We're not under the authority of ourselves anymore, the world, where we're the king, where we decide what's right and what's wrong. John reminds us that as Christians, we're not dual nationals, that we cannot hold passports to both Jesus's kingdom and the kingdom of the world where we're still in charge. Do you know, I can remember uh, as a young person, I remember coming to the realisation that I was living as a dual national. You know, I went to church on Sunday and I sang all the songs. But, you know, from Monday to Saturday, it was a very different story. I lived where I was the king. I lived in a way, uh, not someone who was living, as someone who followed and loved Jesus, who had Jesus as the king of their lives, who lived for Jesus wholeheartedly. I was trying desperately to hold on to two passports. And, you know, John, this evening, he shows us that we can only hold on to one. We can only hold on to one. If anyone loves the world, John says, love for the Father is not in them. So firstly, it shows us our identity as those who belong to another kingdom, that we can't be dual nationals. But what does it look like to love the world? Well, John shows us. And do you notice how in verse 16, when John is describing what it looks like to love the world, he doesn't look outwards, but rather he looks inwards. And he looks into his, our own heart. And what it desires, you know, there's a a famous Scottish hymn writer and minister, a guy called George Matheson. And, you know, he said these really profound words. He said this, he said, Lord, let me not think that the world is a place that would lead me to underrate my difficulties. If the world were any particular place, I could easily get rid of it. The world is within me. I can carry it about to any place and the place to which I carry it immediately becomes worldly. You know, we can often think, can't we, that the world is out there. But actually, John shows us that the world is really in our hearts, the desires in our hearts. And John describes it in three ways, doesn't he? In in verse 16, if you look with me, he says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the father, but from the world. John describes it as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. You know, that word lust, you know, the root of that word, it it literally means to be hot for something. And it's a word that describes an, an overwhelming passion 
within our heart, a heart that is just set in whatever way to please ourselves without any kind of regard to God or any kind of regard to those around us even. This is a heart John is describing where we are king and God is not, where our ambition is to constantly please ourselves rather than seek to please our king, our maker, our God where our passions and our time and our energy and our resources are all centred away from knowing and trusting the Lord Jesus and rather centred on following everything that our hearts crave, all the things that our hearts see. And John describes it also as the pride of life, he says, or you could also translate it the pride of having possessions, You know, a heart that's proudly self-sufficient, that marvels at everything that we have. You know, a, a heart that builds an identity and a reputation on the things that we have, on the car that we have, on the house that we have. Everything has to be bigger and better than everyone else. We're constantly comparing ourselves. A heart that gets jealous maybe when we see others that have something that we don't. A pride that's staked on the things that we have, the pride of life. And all these things, John says, this heart, these are the things that the world chases after. These things belong to the world even, and they don't come from the Father. The world isn't a place, it's within me. It's within my heart. You know, one of my favourite songs, one of my favourite hymns is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in one of the choruses of this song, you know, every time it's, it's played, I can't help but resonate with it. And it says this, it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, keep and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And, you know, that's what John shows about our hearts. And, you know, I know it when I see my own heart how quick I am to forget everything that I have in knowing Jesus, everything that he has given me, how quick I am to forget how wonderful and how glorious Jesus is and how quick I am to set my affections on other things, on worldly things, things that John is going to show us shortly are temporary, that don't even last, things that ultimately distract me from Jesus. Things that lead me slowly but surely wandering away from him. That's the real danger when our hearts are not set on Jesus, but on the things of this world. And, you know, it might be this evening that we're hearing this and we're thinking that, well, this has just confirmed everything that we thought about Christians. Everything we thought about the Bible. It's just a load of rules. It's just about Uh, We can't do this and we can't do that. Uh, And how, you know, Christians are just destined to live a boring life. Well, do you know what I love about the Bible? What I love about the Bible is that it isn't just a load of rules and it doesn't just say do this and do that. But rather, sure, it gives God's people who have experienced God's love and mercy and rescue a way that he wants his people to live. 
But the thing I love is that it gives the reason why this is the best thing that we could do, why this is the best way that we could live, why the way that God gives and he sets for his people to live is such a good thing. And that's what we see right at the end of our passage in verse 17. The reason for why Paul tells us not to love the world. And that's in verse 17. Look with me. He says, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the the will of God lives forever, ever. John says everything in this world is going to pass away. It's all temporary. It's not going to last. And what I love is that the logical outworking of this that John shares with us is what would be the point? How devastating it would be if we spent our whole lives working and striving and investing and pursuing things that ultimately are just going to pass away, that aren't going to remain forever. You know, you might have read um, a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's a very famous book written by a guy called John Bunyan. And it's kind of an allegorical story that describes this character called Christian, uh, written as this kind of spiritual journey that he takes in a kind of fictional story. And in this book, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, it accounts the time where Christian gets to this place called Vanity Fair. And I'll read that account of the book out to us, because I think it sums up so much. It says this in Pilgrim's Progress. It says, it was the vanity fair where the pilgrims of eternity forgot their noblest purposes and were alert from their divine quest. Its gaiety and glory, its glittering baubles and visions of beauty bewitched the sense and made man forget the greatness of his origin and the greatness of his destiny. In its booths of pleasure and chambers of delight, its novelty and fascination and airy laughter, men were alert to destruction and forgot that they were pilgrims and sojourners as their fathers were. And what, after all, was the world but a mere series of shows and vanities, like a village fair, all alive at night with light and music, and in the morning, nothing. Nothing left but the trodden grass and a broken pole or two to mark where it had been. It was passing away like a stage picture upon which the curtain would soon fall. Doesn't that wonderfully illustrate what John's trying to say? The things that we enjoy so often in this world sure might bring pleasure for a moment, but they don't last. They might bring happiness, but it lasts just for a moment. It's fleeting. They're all passing away. It promises so much, doesn't it? And yet so often it delivers little. And, you know, John says that as Christians, we're not to love, we're not to invest and pour our hearts into things that we see are just going to pass away, are going to last just for moments. But rather to focus on our identity as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, another kingdom, a kingdom that is the total opposite, a kingdom that is everlasting, that's never going to fail, never going to fade, that lasts forever and ever, a kingdom that is coming, 
and that will be revealed for every eye to see. And you know, that's what the last verse in our passage points us to. It points us to that reality of an, end, an, an unending and unfading kingdom. Verse 17, John ends by saying, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And what we like with most of John, we have to ask, what is the will of God? What does God want us to do? Well, there are a couple of clues as to what John means by this. And in fact, it comes later on in his letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse, verse 21. What does God want us to do? Well, 1 John three twenty-one. John says this, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. That's what we're to do. We are to believe in his son. We are to look to the son. We're not to love the world, but we're to look to Christ. We're to look to him as our king, as people who belong to his kingdom. Do you know, John will say at the end of his letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, he says, God has given us, you and me this evening, eternal life. And this life is in his son. God has given us in Jesus something that is not passing away, but something that is lasting forever. And that is what we are to invest our lives in. Surely that's what makes sense, as John has been describing. Because, you know, it's when we look to Jesus, it's in Jesus that we find life and not death. It's in Jesus that we find eternity and not temporary. It's in Jesus that we find satisfaction and not emptiness. Don't love the world, John says. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Do you know there's a a famous actor called Charles Dutton who performed in various Broadway musicals in America and various movies and TV shows. But, you know, as a young man, he spent um, a few years in prison. It was during those prison years that he wanted to kind of become an actor. And when he got released, he kind of had quite a successful acting career in Broadway. And a journalist once asked Charles one of this question. The journalist said, how did you make the remarkable transition through those prison years to Broadway? And, you know, Charles responded with these words. He said, Unlike the other prisoners, he replied, I never decorated my cell because I wanted to be reminded every day that this place is temporary. Well, do you know this evening, may we have hearts this evening that remind us that the things that we so often seek are temporary. The things that distract us are there and they make us wander away from the Lord Jesus, the one who is an eternal king, who promises something not temporary, but everlasting. Hearts that remind us of our identity as those who belong to his kingdom. We belong to another kingdom. And so seeking not to live our lives now as as dual nationals, people who live with two passports, but rather living lives that are marked and are characterised by the Lord Jesus and therefore not becoming carbon copies of the world and the culture around us, not becoming like tourists in another city, not blending in, but rather standing out 
not loving the world, but always looking to Christ. Because in him, we have everything. Well, let me pray as we, uh, as we close. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you, we find life. We find a certain hope that cannot be matched with anything in this world. And yet, Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You know how prone to wonder they are and how we see things that this world can offer us. Uh, we, we often see them as things that are more valuable, more precious. But Lord, save us from such a wrong view. And may we see you as the most glorious treasure that we could ever possess, that you give us all that we could ever imagine, that in you we have a glory that cannot be compared with in this world. And may we live lives that are are marked and characterised by your word. And may we not live as a carbon copy of our culture around us, but to live in a different way that shows how wonderful and how glorious you are, Lord Jesus. Lives of worship and lives of praise for all that you have done in our lives. We pray this all for your glory and your kingdom that we are a part of now. Amen.